This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. We wouldn't be here without you, <laughs> literally. All right, so we are starting our study through the book of Philippians this morning, which is very exciting. I've been looking forward to this, and uh, it's an eight-part series. Um, we're going to have a little break in the middle because we have our Croatia team that's going over to Croatia, so we'll have a little break in the middle of it, but but it's an, it's an eight-part study uh, starting today, and the, the title of the of the series is "It's All in Your Head," and the reason that I titled it this is because in every single of the studies, all eight, Paul is referencing um, either his thinking or what they should be thinking, and it really reminds them and us that that it really starts in our brains where we end up going. Even when it comes to sin, you don't not think about sinning. You don't accidentally sin. Maybe there's uh, some types of sins of omission, but, but really the point is there's a process to our thinking and our mentality where we're at in our thinking will, will dictate where we're at right now, today, how we are processing things. So that's what we're going to be looking at through this series. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the human mind processes anywhere from 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Some people on the higher end, some people lower, if you know what I mean. But nonetheless, it's still a lot. So how do we process our thoughts? What do we give our thoughts to? And Paul's going to give us some instruction. The Holy Spirit's going to give us some instruction on how to best do that. We're going to have five points this morning of ways that we can have healthy thinking as Christians, what the Bible wants us to do in regards to our thinking and our thoughts. Very practical, very instructional. I'm, I'm very blessed that, that we get to look at this. So get ready for that. <clears throat> if anybody needs a Bible, please raise your hand so you can follow along with us through Philippians and we will jump into our text after we give this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you've given us the capacity to think, to make decisions, that we're not robots. You didn't pre-program us to be a certain thing or a machine. God, but you gave us this blessing of working through issues and, and what we really set our mind on. And we pray, Lord, that as we go through this series, even especially today, that you would minister to us, that, that you would help us receive this word and plant it in fertile soil in our hearts so that we can see fruit come from it. Thank you, God, for that time of worship that we can offer you the fruit of our lips. Thank you, God, for this time in your word that we can study, we can take it and apply it to our lives. Thank you, Father, for the tithes and offerings. We want those to be honoring to you as an act of worship, God. Thank you for your church. 
We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start in two different places before we jump into Philippians. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, and kind of set up and, and illustrate in the scripture the power of your thoughts, you know, the power of your thinking. So first off, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down stronghold for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, the last part of that verse is my favorite, and it kind of brings it all together. But, but, but what he's saying is we don't, we don't fight the battle of spiritual warfare or, or life like the world does. The world responds, the, the world more often reacts to certain things, and, and they, they are vengeful, or, or the tools that they use to get what they want are different than what we use as Christians. We need to be in control of and aware of our thinking, and, and even when it comes to uh, being having weapons in warfare, not being carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? Have you ever talked to a stubborn person before? Nobody? Just a couple people? You're having a conversation. You're saying, what can I do to get through to you? You know, there's only one thing that really can get through to a stubborn person. I believe the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God is truth. And as people hear the word of God, those strongholds can be broken. I can, I can reason with them. I can argue with them. I can lay out the facts. This is why, that's why. This is where you need to end up. But really, God's word takes those strongholds and breaks them down. I can, I can testify to this personally in my own life. I used to have strongholds or opinions about things that I was so firm in, but as I read God's word, those strongholds were broken down and dismantled. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? Against the knowledge of God. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Casting down arguments. This is that voice that says God isn't who he says he is. To Eve, did God really say? What do you really want? The arguments that challenge who God is. Because uh, I have to tell you, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible is about God's heart for you to know who he is. That's the purpose of salvation. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ on the cross, to reconcile you to God so that you can know who he is. It's beautiful. And Satan wants to counterfeit that or take people away from the knowledge of who God is. Because when you get to know, we're going to talk about this a little more, but when you get to know who God is, oh, how much more you love him. Because the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you want to be with him. It's like a, like a young couple. It's like when Grace and I were dating, getting engaged. I loved her, and the more I got to know her, the more I loved her, and the more I wanted to spend my life with her. Now, she liked me a little bit, 
And the more she got to know me, the more she questioned whether she wanted to spend the rest of her life for, with me. But I got her to sign on the dotted line, and it's history. 15 years in January. The more you get to know somebody, hopefully, in Christ, in the Lord, the more you get to know somebody, people who are submitted to the will of God and walking in the Spirit, the more that you're going to love them, the more that you're going to want to be around them, the more you're going to want to hang out. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, this is my favorite part of the verse because it's illustrated well in the Greek, that word for captivity, you can also translate into arrest. So you get this picture of you having a thought in your head and then these two thought cops pop in, poof, and they come and they take that thought and they put its hands behind its back and put some handcuffs and escort it off the premises. You're 86 thought. You have no room in my head. You have no authority in me. And I'm not going to dwell or allow you to remain and have a space in my thoughts. Taking every thought captive. And this is important too. To what? To the obedience of Christ Jesus. What was Jesus' life exemplified in? His obedience to the Father. Even to the cross but he saw, we see the glory of God through Jesus' obedience. And we, when we take our thoughts captive, when we don't allow ourselves to go in places that they're, they're not supposed to go, we too see the glory of God. Now, this other verse that I have here, um, it's to illustrate this as well even further. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. In fact, I love this verse as an illustration. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, people have asked me, and the question has been asked thousands and millions of times, is Jesus literally saying that if your right hand causes you to sin, then you should cut it off? What do you guys think? Well, you all are intact, so from up here, it looks like you don't believe it's literal. But here's the process of thinking, this is what would happen with me. I don't know if it would happen with you, but if my right hand caused me to sin and I cut it off, what's the next thing that's going to happen? My left hand is going to cause me to sin. And then I'm going to cut it off. And what's going to happen after that? My eyes are going to cause me to sin. And I'm going to pluck them out. And then what's going to happen? My, my feet are going to cause me to sin. Somehow, we'll figure out a way. And I'll chop my legs off. And there I'll be a torso on a bed. And I'll be screaming, saying, Somebody please stab me in the head because it's still happening. The sin is a symptom of a mindset. It's a symptom of a mentality. You have to stop the sin here before it's manifested physically. We see Paul's going to be in a, in a very good place, but physically he's in a very bad place when we get into the, the beginning of our verses. 
I was at the men's conference yesterday. We had this Calvary Chapel Southern Nevada men's conference. It was great. And one of the guys shared very openly and honest with us. I very much appreciated it. He said that he's, you know, he's been walking with the Lord since 2001, but before he started walking with the Lord, he had an affair. He cheated on his wife and he had an affair. And he broke his relationship with his wife, but then he, they talked and they worked it out and they wanted to stay together. So they stayed together. Some years go by and he gets saved. He gets radically saved, starts walking with the Lord, and ends up becoming a pastor. So now he's a saved pastor And he says he finds himself driving to this woman's house to have an affair with her. This would be the second affair against his wife that he would have. And he's driving to her house at 4.30 in the morning. Don't ask me why I didn't ask him. But he's driving to her house at 4.30 in the morning to have an affair with her. And he pulls over on the side of the road and he breaks down. And he starts crying. He's completely broken. He doesn't know what's happening or or why he's doing this. And he's just screaming out to God. He's saying, God, help me. I need your help. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And he said his phone rang at 4.30. He looks at his phone. It's a good friend of his who's also a pastor. They got ordained the same day. He hasn't heard from him in eight months to a year. He's unhinged, broken. He answers the phone. He can't talk. That's how broken he is. And his friend says, hey, well, I'll call you back in a few minutes. Pull yourself together. So a few minutes goes by. He calls him back again. He answers the phone. And the only things that he, the only thing he can get out, the only thing that he could say is, I need help. And his friend said, I know God told me to call you. And then the first time I hung up, he told me to call you right back. I'm here to help you. What do you need? See, it didn't happen that he had the affair, but it did happen. It happened in his heart and his action was being fulfilled as he was driving to her house to commit that sin. So for us, it doesn't necessarily have to be manifested like Jesus said. It's a process of thinking that we need to get under control now before we get to the place of the sin manifesting itself. So I'm driving home from the men's conference. Are you ready for this? From a Christian men's conference. I'm driving home and I'm feeling good, you know? The Lord moved in my heart, and it was a good time with brothers, good fellowship. And I'm pulling, going to the on-ramp, and and the traffic stopped, the light's green. Everybody's beeping their horns and all upset, and everybody's pulling around. And there's this car, about three or four uh, car lengths from the light, that's that's got their four ways on. And obviously, they're they're stuck there. So, you know, I pull in front of them and nobody's stopping. So I pull in front of them and, and I get out of my truck and I go and say, hey, what's going on? Can I help you? Doesn't speak English really that great, but they say, you know, my car won't start. So I tried to start the car. It wouldn't start. I pop the hood, look under the hood, you know. Go back in the car. The car's in drive. You can't start a car with it in drive. Take note, okay? So put it in park. Turn the car over. The car's turning over. It won't start. I look at the gas gauge. You're out of gas. Bummer, you know. Okay, thank you for your help. You know, I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I get in my truck and I pull up to the light. Well, first we pushed the, uh, she said, can you pull, push my car off the road? It was like a 9% grade uphill. I pushed it over to the side. It wasn't. <laughs> it was a little downhill, but it was a small car. I appreciate it. I push it over to the side, get in my truck, and, and because we pushed it up, there's about, you know, there's, there's two car lengths, and, and I'm in my truck because I pulled over to the side, and I go to pull over behind the car, and there's this car right here trying to get in, 
But clearly they can see that I was just helping somebody, right? You know? So get in my truck, the light turns green. I'm I'm going through the light. I didn't think anything of it. Going through the light. This lady tries to pull in front of me, honking her horn, and my reaction was, oh yeah, hit me. I'm pulling over in front of her and slamming my brakes on and be like, don't you know I just helped somebody? Can you have a little consideration, please? And then and then they're beeping and I'm pulling up and 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 swerving all around like a dinkus. By the way, if you don't know, that's the correct definition of what a dinkus is. Look it up. (laughs) And then immediately I make the turn. I'm driving up the road and it hits me. You are an idiot. And how quickly when the thoughts are not taken care of, things transpire. So immediately they're behind me. We're driving down the road, then they're on the side of me, you know? And th- there's, there's that temptation to continue the altercation. But because I recognized right afterwards that my process of thinking was wrong, and I wasn't a good Christian guy helping somebody on the side of the road, I was able to take captive those thoughts, arrest them, escort them out, And when they turned down the same road I was turning down to go to my house, I went home a different way. I didn't even want to, you know, I'm done. I'm done because I know myself. And if any of us try to trick ourselves into thinking that we can be loose or lackadaisical with our process of thinking, we're fooling ourselves. Because just like that, that quick, a seed is planted And then you know what happens. You start to give attention to a thought that has no business being in your head and you end up somewhere that you never intended to go. There's a guy in our church who was driving home, went around some car on the side of the road. They got mad, went and got a gun, shot at him a couple times. Who's going to have to go to court now? The guy wasn't, the guy who shot wasn't, you know, wasn't, from our church because I'd have a talk with him. He was the victim. But, but now you could potentially be going to prison for not controlling your process of thinking. This isn't that big of a deal, okay? Paul is writing from a place of he's in jail waiting to go to trial. Many people would agree that... Uh, possible execution involved. Paul is technically on death row waiting to hear what his sentencing is going to be. And he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And do you know what most people, what word, what emotion most people attach to the book of Philippians? Joy. He's writing from death row to his friends whom he loved, a church that he had planted about 11 years previously, the first church on the European continent. And the, one of the words that's expressed through this epistle is, is how joyful he is. You know why? Because Paul had the correct mentality. We can look at our circumstances and we can justify what we think very easily, can't we? Well, this is what I think, and this is what I'm going to do because of this, this, that, and that. Why does it have to go that far? Stop. It's not as bad as you make it out to be. Why? Because you are God's. He loves you, and he knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. 
Remember when we went through 1 Peter, that second study, that you go through these various trials and temptations and difficulty, if need be, comma, if need be, right? Why is that if need be there? Because it's necessary for you to go through it. Do you like it? No. Do I like it? Absolutely not. But you're in it and you're going through it because God sees it as necessary. And then we adjust our mentality to that. God, if you know that I'm supposed to be going through this and and I know who you are and, and you love me, then my thinking, my process of thinking needs to change. Let's look at Philippians and get into our five points Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a very typical introduction, even typical for Paul himself, but we see it's Paul and Timothy. Uh, They identify themselves as bond servants, as slaves. And when you have that kind of mentality, check this out. When you have the mentality, I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. Then things that happen to you, you can say, well, I'm a bond servant. (laughs) What, what, What do I expect? I'm not in control of myself anymore. I shouldn't be controlling things to the degree that I did before. I'm a bond servant of God. And that's at the forefront. That's the first thing he says. I'm a, we're bondservants of God writing to you, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, the whole church, all the believers, all of those who, who I know, whom I, of whom I know, with the bishops. The bishops are the overseers, the pastors and leaders, and the deacons. The deacon is the office of service, those who serve in specific offices. We have bishops and deacons here in Paradise Calvary Chapel. And he's saying to everybody, all you guys, I love you. Greetings to you. Grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul experienced, I'm sure, a deeper level of God's grace in this most difficult, trying prison sentence time. Whenever I've gone through difficulty in life and I have the right perspective, I feel a greater presence of God's grace on my life. Not when things are great. Oh, God is so good, unmerited favor. He loves me so No, when things are so bad and I have the right perspective, the right mentality, God is so good to me. Even though I'm struggling, I don't even deserve, I deserve worse than this. And along with that extra measure of grace comes peace that passes understanding. And then here's our first point. If you want to take notes or or track along in in keeping and having the right perspective and mentality. Number one, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Now, our first word is remember. I have this verse on two plaques in my uh, office wall art. I've got the first part of the verse on the left side, the second part of the verse on the right side. If you'd like to see it, I can show you after service. But in the middle of it is, is, a, is a map of, of the world, the, the globe, flat. It's a map, right? And every time I walk in my office and I see that, I think, oh man, you know, uh, I read the verse and I look at the world and I think of all my friends that I have all over the world. Most of them, if not all of them, they're serving Jesus. They're serving the Lord. And I look at the map and I think of 
the church that we started and that we still have a great relationship with in Croatia, the, the new churches that are being planted in Zagreb. I think of my friends in Austria. I think of my friends in Italy. I think of my friends in Germany. I think of my friends in Great Britain. I think of my friends in Ethiopia. And I just stop and I think about them. And then I, and I say a little prayer and I thank God for them. Okay, maybe not every single time, but I do it pretty regularly. God, thank you for my friends that are bond servants of you, that love you, and that are serving you in these places. In fact, every morning when I wake up, you know, the first thing I do before I get out of bed, I'm laying in bed, I read my Bible for, for, my, for my daily reading, and then I, I, I'm still, I, I, sometimes I get on my knees, but usually I, I do it laying down because the Bible doesn't say you have to get out of bed. So, um, and my bed is really comfortable. So I, I'm praying, and the first thing I pray for is my wife. God, thank you for my wife. She, I would be so messed up if it wasn't for my wife. God, thank you for your grace through grace upon grace in my life. And the next thing I, I pray for is my kids. And I say, and by name, God, thank you for each one of my kids. And I, I remember them. I thank God for them with joy. I pray for them. And then every morning I pray, God, for, if nothing else happens in my kids' life, my one prayer for them, God, please hear me, is that each and every one of them would passionately be followers of you and know who you are until the day they die. And then the next thing I pray for, do you know, this is the, 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 the order. The next thing I pray for, do you guys know what it is, who it is? I pray for you. I say thank you, God, for our church, and thank you for the way that you're moving in, in our church right now. And, and when I pray that prayer, certain people pop into my head. You know, maybe I get a text message that somebody's struggling, or a phone call, or a difficulty that I know what you're going through. And, and I don't look at a list. I just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance issues that I know are going on, and I pray for you specifically. I want you to know this because I love you. Paul wanted them to know this because he loved them. And here's the key word as we go through these. The key word here is he says, every time I remember upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request to you with all joy. Do you know, one of the most emphatic directives for us as Christians in the Bible, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and that's no exaggeration, you can check it out. One of the most emphatic directives for us from God is to remember. He says, remember, remember, remember. He says, set up stones of remembrance, build altars of remembrance. You guys need, remember where you came from. Remember what I did with you. Remember my promises. Remember the, the, the Egypt. Remember the household of bondage. Remember what I brought you. Remember the promised land. Remember, 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 remember. You know why he says that so much? Because it's so easy to forget. And we forget so quickly. And the first thing that we need to do when we're going through it and it's difficult and we're struggling, the first thing to do to correct our mentality is remember. Remember who he is. Remember what he said. Remember his promises. And when you're able to make that connection to readjust your mentality, you too will be able to say those prayers and give thanksgiving with joy. Because I can't remember a time that God didn't meet me in difficulty. I can't remember a time when he failed me. I can't remember a, an event where I can point to and say, I'm not going to trust you today. I'm not going to hope in you today because you, because you didn't come through for me before. Every single time he's come through and he wants you, he wants me to remember 
so that we can readjust and have the right mentality. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, every prayer of mine making a request for you all with joy. Look at verse 5. It's our second word is in here. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. So we read it together, verses 4 and 5, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the, from the first day till now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses in Philippians. What a glorious promise that is. But, but let's back up for a second. So he thanks them with joy for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, there's a connection that the gospel makes between true believers in Jesus Christ. The fellowship in the gospel, you know. And, and we can have relationships that, that the gospel brings people together that are richer and fuller and deeper than any other kind of relationship we've had in our life. In fact, I've met people for the first time and they said they were Christians and, and, and I was a Christian and I could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we just have a great, you know, time of exchange and fellowship. My first question isn't, what's your doctrine on eschatology? You know, what, what's your position on annihilism? Because I don't know if we can have it. No, there's a, there's a power in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we have good fellowship in the gospel. Grace and I were flying around doing something at some point, and we ended up in Salt Lake City, and we were flying to Las Vegas, and our flight got canceled because there was a storm, believe it or not, in Las Vegas, of all places. But God knew what he was doing, you know, and we were standing in line to get rebooked onto another flight, and this guy in front of us with his about 10-year-old daughter, I could hear him talking, and I was totally eavesdropping, and I could hear him talking, and, and she, she was complaining about being stuck, and and he said, uh, don't worry, this is all works out for, there's a purpose for this, you know, there's a reason, you know. And I was like, this guy's a Christian, I could just sense it, you know. And that was the biggest mistake I made that night. <laughs> because at that point, it was, I think, about midnight. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, hey, how are you doing, buddy? He said, good, how are you doing? I said, hey, are you a Christian? He said, yeah. I said, me too. He's like, sweet. And, and I was like, uh, uh, where, you know, where, where you go to church? He's like, in California. He said, actually, I'm a pastor. I'm like, no way, I'm a pastor too. He's like, no way, yeah. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I was like, which church do you pastor at? He's like, Calvary Chapel. I'm like, no way, I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. And you're flying from Salt Lake City to California, and I'm flying, this is crazy. And, 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 and I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, how long have you been in ministry for? And I was like, in Vegas, you know, we, we planted a church. It's, it's great. And my wife and I were on the mission field for 10 years before. They like, no way, I want to be a missionary. We're praying about going to Mexico right now. Can I pick your brain and we can talk about some things? Five hours later, I'm just like, bro, stop talking. Here's my email. I will give you detailed response. You know why? Because there's a genuineness in the fellowship of the gospel. And the gospel brings people together to a level that nothing else can. No sports team, no, with all due respect, no, no, no political affiliation or party. Nothing brings people together like the gospel. And we see this exemplified through Paul. But that's not the word, because all these words have to do with our mentality, right? 
for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. Being what? Confident is a mental position, isn't it? Being confident. Now, I like the fact that I realized not too long ago that it's good to be confident. Do you know that it's good to be confident? It's bad to be prideful, but here's the definition or the difference between being prideful and confident. Prideful is being selfish. You can attain, do these things in and of your own strength. Confident, especially contextually here, as we see, confident is placing a a trust in something else or somebody else. Who is Paul confident in? Himself? Who is Paul confident in? Is he confident in them? No, Paul is confident in God. And confidence in God is a powerful mental exercise, let me tell you. Because when you pray a prayer and say, God, I'm praying this prayer, but I'm not confident that you're going to answer it. Oh, and you, you don't think I want to take care of you or what? Well, well, no, no, I'm mostly confident. I'm a little confident, but I'm more confident in myself. I, I think I could probably handle this a little bit better than you would. And then it ends up being pride. As you and I both know, pride is sin. So God can't answer a prayer prayed in pride because it's sinful. It's self-centered. It's self-focused. But confidence in God, altering your mentality to having confidence in God allows you to be in a place where you receive even more of grace and peace. Because you're confident. And yeah, we've been through difficult things. Everybody, anybody go through a trial before? A hardship? When you're going through a hardship, you can have absolute confidence in God, specifically with this verse that God says through the Holy Spirit with Paul that you can be confident that he's going to complete the good work that he started in you. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That word for complete can also be translated uh, perfect, perfect or wholeness. And he's writing from prison to them that he's confident his mental position place is confidence in God to finish the good work in them that that God started. So if, if that's the case for them, how much more can I say to you, I am confident in God that God, that God will finish and bring to completion the good work that he started in you. And how many times that prayer has been so powerful as I'm standing with a brother or sister or sitting and we're praying together and I can say, God, I'm confident. I'm not mostly hopeful. I'm not guessing, shooting in that direction. I'm confident that you are going to complete or finish the good work that you started in this brother, this sister. You know why? Because there's power in praying the promises of God from his word. Because his word is truth. Everything else is going to fade away. His word remains forever. Not one jot or tittle is going to be taken away. His word 
is going to endure forever. So number one, remember. Number two, be confident. Number three, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. This letter throughout the whole letter, it really is, but he's just gushing. He loves these guys. Remember Acts chapter 16? We can't really get into it today because in a couple chapters, we're going to go more in depth and look back at it. But Paul goes to Philippi and, and he's preaching the gospel. He goes out by the river because there was no synagogue, goes out by the river where they gather for prayer. Lydia gets saved. Anyway, a handful of people get saved. And then what happens to Paul? The guy who he cast a demon out of a slave girl and that guy drags him to the authority and, and Paul and, and his companion get beaten within an inch of their life and they get thrown into prison. And they, oh, I, I said I didn't want to get into it. They get thrown in jail. They're singing praises at midnight. An earthquake comes. They get out. The jailer's going to kill himself. Don't kill yourself. What must I do to be saved? Oh, well, I'll tell you. His whole family gets saved. A radical thing happens. And then the next morning, the magistrate says, okay, go ahead and let those prisoners, let them go. And Paul says, uh-uh, I'm a Roman citizen. You think you can treat me like that? You're just going to dismiss me secretly? No, you come and escort me out and conf you know, confess your wrongdoing. Paul wasn't joking around. This was a serious character. They saw what Paul went through, literally in their own city, in their midst. And now he's in prison again. And this is what he says to them again in verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of this grace. I love you. Remember everything we've been through. The church is doing well. It's blessed. And he says, just as it is right for me to think. And then that's our next word. Number three, think. Another thing that we can say is, consider, meditate. He's saying to them, I can think this way because of what we went through. And now you're in a situation that you have questions about. You're saying, why is this happening or what's going on? Just stop, calm down and consider all things. Okay. Consider your, your relationship with that person. Consider that God is doing a work. Consider that he wants you to trust him and be submitted to him. So you, you have remembrance of God's past faithfulness. You can have confidence that he's going to bring to completion the good work that he started. And then you have this consideration, this, this thinking to help align yourself to be in the correct mentality. Inasmuch as both you in my, both in my chain, excuse me, <clears throat> and in the gospel and confirmation, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Not only am I in prison and I'm in difficulty and I'm struggling, I have an abundance of grace from God, and you too, you, we're partakers of this grace. Verse 9, we have the last two kind of sandwiched together. And this I pray 
that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernments. The last two are knowledge, and the last one, number five, is discernment. These things are important, and they're different for a reason. We go back to the knowledge that we talked about earlier, and, and this is the heart of God, that He wants us to have knowledge of who He is, but He also wants to help uh, guide us through life, and He gives us knowledge at certain times. And, and when we don't have knowledge, with the, the level of knowledge that we have, He also brings and gives discernment. You have the capacity mentally, but then you have the ability to, to, to choose to make the right decisions, to do the right things, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Amen. Now look at what happens when we wrap up here with this fifth point, okay? He, he's, he's praying for them, for their love, they may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And, and this is a prayer for him. This is a prayer from him for them that as much as he loves them and as much as they love him, his prayer is that they would love even more. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? We looked at two portions of Scripture, fruits of the Spirit. We were in Galatians chapter 5. Then we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we looked at love, the fruit of the Spirit. And you can never have too much love. Even in the greatness of their relationship, he's saying, I, I pray that you have more love. And as we talked about before, love comes through to some degree or another. Love comes through knowledge. The more you know God, the more that you're going to love him. And Paul says, I pray that, you would even, that you'd even have more love and you'd have more knowledge and that you'd have discernment as well. And here's why, here's why, that you may approve the things that are excellent. There's three things that he, that he concludes with here with this thought. That you may approve, number one, things that are excellent, number two, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Approve things that are excellent. And then that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Do you know, have you ever known anybody who's ins insincere? They're not sincere. It, it, what, what is it? What's the, the natural progression of thought when you meet somebody like that? They're shallow. You, you, you can't trust what they are saying or what they're doing. You, you, don't, you don't know if they're being sincere or not. But a result of having the right mentality and process of thinking will allow you to do things and deal with people in sincerity. I feel like sometimes I'm a little too sincere, you know? Like, please, why did you share that with me? Because I just want you to know. <laughs> well, keep it to yourself next time, Tim. Approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love how this connects two weeks ago to that fruit study and how the, 
the glory of God is demonstrated through your lives in your fruitfulness. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, those things testify to the glory of God. You can never take credit for those things. Man, you have an incredible amount of peace. Why is that? Because I'm just a real peaceful person. I've got my crystal. I rub them on my forehead. I get in line with things that I don't... No, there's there's no place for any kind of confidence in self when it comes to the fruits of God being born through your life. And he says this too. When you have the right perspective, when you're doing things the right way, when you have the right mentality, you pray for more love and that you'd be filled with the fruit of fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. John 15, you connected to the vine, you'll bear fruit. If you're not connected to the vine, you won't bear anything. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Get connected to the vine. Bear the fruits of righteousness. Have the correct mentality for life, living. Let's close with the five points. We'll just go through them briefly to be a reminder. You can jot down your notes if you hadn't gotten them yet. Number one, remember, God, wants, God always wants you to remember. He always wants you to remember. How good was God to you yesterday? And how does that alter the position that you're in today? How good was God to you a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, back when he delivered you from the house of bondage? How good was God? Remember to adjust your mentality. Number two, confidence. When you remember, you can step into a new level of confidence, can't you? Oh man, if God is for me, who can be against me? He is able, willing, and going to bring to completion the good work that he started in me. Number three, consider, it's, it's similar to, uh, remember, but it's, it's more of a thinking, a what are you thinking, a taking thoughts captive consideration. Number four, knowledge. Do you want to know God more? I'm just curious. Do you guys want to know more about who God is? Do you know you can never exhaust your knowledge of God? It's like, God, give me more, give me more, give me more. I feel like the more I know, the less I understand. (laughs) Because God's ways are higher than my ways, higher than my situation, higher than my opinion of what he should be doing. Seek him for that knowledge. You'll love him even more. Number five, discernment you will have the discernment that you need that's necessary going through life because you have the correct mentality. And believe me when I say that this is something that has been studied, defined, uh, scientifically proven. And I had some things that I wanted to bring to talk about that as far as what, what the world even, psychology, thinks about the power of your mind and your thoughts. But I really wanted to settle down and focus on God's word. Because they may get things, some things right, but, but God's word gets 100% of things right all the time. Who was it? I think uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, possibly, I can't remember. He said, the, the sum of a person's thoughts throughout the day, that is what they are. 
what you give yourself to, what you're thinking about is going to be manifested in the person that you become or that you are presently because that's the thoughts, that's the thought process. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this this instruction, this lesson in your word this morning. We needed to hear it. We so often get frustrated with our circumstances, whether it's being cut off on the on the road or or broken relationship or trial or tribulation or a job need or whatever the case may be. We can have a, a bad mentality. We, we can settle into an incorrect process of thinking. And we don't want to do that, God, because we remember how good you've been to us. And we are confident that you are going to continue to wholeness, even perfection, even until the day of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you bless your church this week. I pray special blessing, God, on every mother that we know and love. Thank you for them. Thank you for their sacrifice, for their selflessness, for their special calling. We, we bless them and we pray that you would pour an extra measure of God's grace, make their kids be good today. And God, we pray against the principalities and powers that are trying to keep the law that it's legal for a mother to go and have her baby dismantled and taken out of her because of free will. God, we pray in Jesus' name that that law would be overturned and that there would be no liberty in the sacrificing of children in this country anymore. Thank you, God, for your great love for us. Thank you for the powerful way we see your spirit moving. In Jesus' name we pray.